you're here, I want you to take your Bible and turn to the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. It's a few books after Psalms. So if you'll go to the middle of your Bible and find the book of Psalms and turn right a few books after that. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter 2. And uh, we'll look there in a moment. Many years ago, about uh, 30 years ago, before the Internet was invented, almost said something political, almost said Al Gore invented the Internet, um, before the Internet was invented, I read a story about a man that was uh, over in Decatur, Georgia, on top of a stone mountain, and had fallen to his death. And they recorded the story how that he began to walk on the slope of that mountain. I was there as a little boy a long time ago. <clears throat> and it's been uh, many years ago, over 50 years. But um, so I'm familiar with it. But as I recall, we didn't go to the top. If we did, I can't remember. But anyhow... Um, the reason that he fell is that he, he had no idea about how, how steep the slope was, but that it was in, in small degrees. It was a very gradual slope. He began to walk down that slope until he got to a place where he could not get back up. And he began to cry out for people to help him and so forth, and uh, nobody could get down there. And of course, he couldn't get back up. And uh, he began to struggle, and then he fell to his death. Well, I never forgot that story. And then, of course, with the advent of the internet, I was able to kind of plug in some terms and did some research on that, and come to find out that a number of people uh, have had that very same thing to happen to them. In fact, I saw a picture where that they had established a fence around the top of Stone Mountain. And I looked at a video even of it where people, because people had fallen, read some articles of the Atlantic Journal-Constitution in 2010. A man that was, uh, I think he was 30 or 33 years old, that was up there, that was uh, um, a fit man like myself, and Amy and Amy, and uh, anyhow, that's a little joke between her and I, <clears throat> we swim and work out, and anyhow, uh, Father, forgive me, and uh, he had left his, he'd gone up there to study or something, his books and his uh, backpack and some things there to go for a walk and he crossed that fence in 2010 that fence was there and because he looked over it was flat a real small gradient and he went too far and couldn't get back up because it's not steep it's very gradual and then in 2012 there was a boy scout troop up there on a on a hike and they were on the safe part. You have to have uh, passes to get up there. You have to pay to get up there, as I understand. 
Well, one of the young boys, I think he was 12 years old, this is two years later in 2012, had, had gotten away from the group and somehow got over the fence. Because, you know, it's like Romans 7 says, if it says, it doesn't say this, but the idea is there, if a sign's on a, on a bench that says, uh, wet paint, do not touch, that that arouses something in you. It says, well, I think I'll try that because of the sin in us. So when the fence is up there, it doesn't mean you ought not have fences. It just speaks of the sinful nature in us. Saw the fence and he crossed the fence because it's not a steep slope. Well, what's this stupid fence up here? So he crossed the fence. And uh, they said in the article I read, he fell 500 feet because it wasn't steep. I've been to the Grand Canyon. I have been there. Now, that's steep. And it is. You look over and it, it just goes straight down. That's, that's different. But it was just a fascinating article. You can read through those on your own time. None of these people, there may have been some, were trying to, to take their lives. They weren't committing suicide. But they were deceived by the incremental changes that they were encountered until it was too late. And the same thing happens to you and me. Um, Sometimes every day. But it's not in the physical realm, it's in the spiritual realm. Where that we begin to, to drift away from the Lord. You know, backsliding is not a, a blowout, it's a slow leak. We don't hear that term much anymore. I want to talk to you this morning about that subject. What is backsliding? What is backsliding? Backsliding is so casual. It's in gradients. It's in degrees. It's a drifting thing. We don't even know we're backsliding. That's why we need church. We need preaching. We need the Spirit of God to, to speak to us. We're backslidden. We think everybody else is a problem. It's so easy to drift from God. It's so easy to drift from God that we must be on our guard against it. And the Bible term in the Old Testament for drifting from God is the word backsliding. Now, when I grew up, and those of you that are older, you, you heard this word a lot. You heard it, didn't you, in church? Some of you are backsliders, you're backslidden. And it is, it's a, it's a Bible term. Now, the term backslidden is not used in the New Testament. It's an Old Testament word. There are other expressions of the word that are used in the, in the New Testament. The principle is in the New Testament, but it's not a New Testament word. Uh, the story is told. I don't know if it's a real story, but the, the form of the story is correct. Where someone asked a, a pastor of a Baptist church one time, do Baptist people, do Baptist people believe in backsliding? He said, we not only believe in it, we practice it. <laughs> and you know, that's the status for many professing Christians. But it's also, listen carefully, the excuse for many false professors. There are many people that have never been saved, that have grown up in church, that have made a false profession of faith. That are away from God, but they've never come to God. He said, well, I'm just backslidden. 
and I'll give you a little bit of the difference. And if I come back to this, this idea, which I might after this message, I'm not sure yet. I want to make three statements about backsliding this morning, and, and hopefully the Spirit of God will, will deal with you about it. And, and, and maybe some of the degrees uh, where you're at, what is backsliding? Number one, backsliding is common. It's common. Uh, we're not going to go in depth this morning. I kind of want to give you an overview. Usually I'll take a passage and a couple of verses, but I want to hit a lot of verses this morning. I want you to underline uh, some things. In Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 19, notice what the Bible says there. Jeremiah is preaching and he says, Thine own wickedness, notice that wickedness, shall correct thee. And notice the plural here, and thy backslidings shall reprove thee. Know therefore and see that it, that is your backsliding, is an evil thing and bitter. He's talking to the whole nation of Israel. He's a preacher uh, during a very difficult time. He, he had the most difficult ministry in the Old Testament. Very unappreciated. He said, you're, you're not just backslidden and you're, you don't just have a backsliding you have backslidings, plural. Turn over the page to Jeremiah chapter 3. And, and this page is full of them. We're just going to look at this. And we're not going to look at all of the references. But I just want to show you a handful of them here. Jeremiah chapter 3. Look at verse 6. Jeremiah 3, 6. The Lord said also unto me in the days of Josiah the king. He was a good king, a godly king. Hast thou seen that which backsliding Israel hath done? God had called them to be his people. He said, Jeremiah, are, are you noticing what my people have done? They're backslidden. I'll talk to you about that word in a moment. Look two verses down. Look at verse 8. Jeremiah said, I saw when offer the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery. And he's talking about spiritual adultery. They were the bride there. They were not faithful. He said, I had put her away. Put away is the Old Testament word for divorce and given her a bill of divorce or divorcement. He said, you're backslidden. Look at verse 11, just a few verses down. This is all in chapter 3. And the Lord said unto me, the backsliding Israel hath justified herself. One of the qualities of a backslidden person is they, they don't accept responsibility. It's always someone else's fault. They justify themselves. Well, yeah, but what about you? Well, it's not my fault. Look at verse 12, same chapter. Go and proclaim these words towards the north and say, Return thou backsliding Israel. I, like, I love these verses. He talks about the mercy of God here because there's hope for a backslider. I like this. I've been backslidden. I don't mean as a teenager. I mean as a pastor. I'll define this more clearly in a moment. It's by degrees. You see, initially when you're backslidden, you don't know it. Return thou backsliding Israel. Look at verse 14. Same chapter. Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord. God is pleading. The word turn means to repent. Change your mind. Change your actions internally, externally. Change. You're going down the side of the mountain. 
There's danger down there. You're not just going to wreck your life. You're going to wreck your family. You're going to wreck your friends. You're going to wreck my name, the Lord says. Turn. Look at verse 22, same chapter. Return, ye backsliding children. I love this. And I will heal your backslidings, plural. Backslidings, plural. You ever had backslidings, plural? I have. Backslidings, plural. God says, when you repent, I, I will heal them. Eight other times that I have not read in the scriptures here, in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 5, and other places, and also in the book of Hosea, these prophets, because prophets were the one that used the word both in singular backsliding and plural backslidings, they called Israel, the people of God, back to himself and return. I will heal you. I have mercy for you. Come back. The word is never used in the New Testament, but other expressions are. I'll show you some of them in a moment. Backsliding is common. It's a reality. Every person in here that's ever been born again, uh, you've been backslidden by degrees. And some of you are not by degrees anymore. You're, some of you are backslidden this morning. You're so far away from God. Some of you are just crossed the fence. And you don't know you're backslidden. It's common. It's a reality. But it's not to be the norm. It's not to be the norm. God doesn't want us to do that. God wants us to be close to Him. He doesn't want us to cross the fence. God wants us to repent. You see, listen, we don't just repent at salvation. Once you get saved, you repent, and then you live a lifestyle of repentance. Uh, Jesus said in Luke chapter 5 and verse 32, listen to this. He said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I preached on this a, a couple of months ago. Remember when you repented? Remember when you changed your mind? I taught you that uh, repentance is not a change of action, a change of behavior. You said, well, I thought it was. No, that's the fruit of repentance. Now, when you repent, you will change. But if you just change, you can change without repentance. That's called reformation. It doesn't last. That's what you do when you, you institute an external requirement upon a person. Repentance is internal. That's a change of mind. That's why preaching, that's why reading your Bible is so important, because you change your mind about yourself. You're not a good person anymore. You're a sinner in need of change. You're, 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 you need God's righteousness. You change your, your mind about God, about who He is. You change your mind. And God says this. He says, I didn't, I didn't come for righteous people. I came for sinners. I came to call you to repentance. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, The Lord is not slack or slow or tardy concerning His promise. He's talking about the second coming of Christ in this passage. I'm not slow about that. I'm coming back. So the reason that I, I'm slow about it, one day with the Lord is a thousand years. A thousand years is a day. He says that later. He says the reason I, I'm waiting as some men count slackness, but I'm long suffering to usward. Because watch this, I'm not willing that any should perish. I want people to be saved. But that all, but that all, that all should come to repentance. I want people to come to repentance. 
But here's the problem. Here's the problem. Even if we believe that, and you ought to believe it, because it's in the Bible. Reading in the Gospel of Mark, the day of Mark chapter 6, when uh, Jesus appointed the twelve to go out, the Bible says, and even Judas, this is interesting, Judas was never saved. He was never saved, but in Mark chapter 6, I think it's in verse 12, he went out and he preached repentance to other people. Did you know that did you know that there are people that have never been saved that have won other people to Christ? Did you know that? I hesitate to say this because she's here. That's my wife, and she's a precious lady. She would share this with you. She was uh, almost 30 when she got saved, right before her 30th birthday. And there's reasons for that. I won't rehash all those this morning. But Paula had won people to Jesus. She had called people to repentance. But she didn't understand the grace of God. She believed in the grace of God. But there's something I have to do, she thought. I have to do something. And she was a religious person. But you have to repent. But after you get saved, listen carefully. After you get saved, you have to live a lifestyle of repentance. And once, listen, once you stop repenting, you start backsliding. Because when you stop repenting, you stop changing. When you stop repenting, you begin justifying yourself, as the passage said in Jeremiah chapter 3. It's other people's fault. You don't own up to anything. It's not my fault. I don't need to change. It's other people's fault. I don't need to grow. I'm kind of plateaued. I'll show you that in a moment. Backsliding is common. People that are backslidden don't know it because they, they think they're okay. They live a life of comparison. Well, what about them? Look at me. I'm okay in comparison. We don't compare ourselves among ourselves with other people. Second Corinthians ten twelve says people that do that are foolish. We compare ourselves with the Lord. And that drives us into his arms, which are merciful. And there we receive his grace, which we know we don't deserve, which makes us humble. Romans three twenty says it shuts our mouth. We don't brag about our goodness. We're just content with what we have. One man said this, he said I I deserve to be damned, but God intervened. Is that your story? I deserve to be damned, but God intervened. And that wasn't just when I was nine and ten. That's still true. And if it's still true, then then I have I have nothing to boast about. So it ought to birth an attitude of gratitude. So I didn't just I didn't just repent when I got saved. There needs to be perpetual repentance, not where I get saved over and over again, but that attitude of of, of unworthiness, that attitude of of gratefulness, of receiving things from the Lord. There were seven churches that Jesus wrote to in Revelation two and three. <clears throat> They were literal churches in those literal cities. Of those seven churches, five of those churches, with the exception of Ephesus, 
in Philadelphia, I believe. And I won't go into the reasons. But uh, no, it wasn't Ephesus. It was Smyrna. Smyrna was a persecuted church. Uh, he did tell Ephesus. But this, I'll give you the message in a minute. But with the exception of Smyrna and Philadelphia, but the other five churches, and some of them told him twice, he told them to repent at the end. He said, I've got some things against you. You need to change it. You need to repent. Now, these were local churches. These were Christians that were gathered together. Now, only backsliders need to repent. He said, you're, you're not right in this area. Do you need to repent every day? It's not a trick question. The answer is yes. Do you need to repent multiple times a day? Probably. I do. Backsliding is very common. Robert Robinson wrote a lyric. We sing the song sometimes. It's very convicting. It goes like this. Oh, to grace how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter. Listen, bind my wandering heart to thee. He's a Christian. Let your goodness see the picture like a fetter. Bind my wandering heart to thee. Listen, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, O God, and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Backsliding is common. Are you backslidden this morning? Are you peering over the fence? Have you gone over the fence? Are you, are you've already started the, the walk downhill and you don't even know you're going down the hill? Or maybe you're just about to, to tumble down. Maybe you're already gone down the, the cliff and you're at the bottom. You've got the wounds to show it. Everybody understands this tug of war in your soul. Look at these verses. These are so profound. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. Look at this. Peter wrote the people and he said, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, because this is not your home. You're a stranger here. You don't speak their language. There's a degree of discomfort here. You're a pilgrim. You're, you're headed, this is not your home, you're headed to your heavenly home. Abstain from fleshly lust. Now watch this, look at this next line. Which war against the soul. Which war against the soul. I have a war against my soul with the world, the flesh, and the devil. My soul is composed of my mind, emotion, my will, my feelings, my choices, and my thinking. And that's the area of my sanctification. We talk about a person being Christ-like. A person is Christ-like because of their emotions, because of their choices, and because of the way they think. Each of those feeds the other. You're, you're, not, just a, you're not just Christ-like because of the way you behave, but because of the way you think and the, and the way you express your emotions. You're Christ-like when your soul is transformed. And you have, the, you have this war in your soul. And that's where the backsliding always starts internally. Always internally before it's ever external. And nobody knows it's there because it's by degrees. 
That's why the people at home, they see it before anybody else. Your friends, the people that hang with you, they see it before anybody else. Paddy Ruski, the great Polish piano player, somebody asked him one time, they said, uh, how often do you practice? He said, I practice eight hours a day. Can you imagine practicing the piano? Scales, which is really boring. It's just, just running up and down. I remember when I was at college and practicing scales, and I hated it because you're not doing anything. You're just doing the same repetitious, boring thing over and over and over again. But it helps you. It helps you with the fluidity of your fingers and so forth. And frankly, it's a matter of discipline. It's just boring. You're not making music at all. But you sit in this little closet of a room. They have all these rooms with little, they're, they're pretty cheap pianos, really. And there, there are scores of them. And you go and you sit there and you just practice and rehearse and go over those scales over and over and over and over again. And I'm sure he did some other stuff. But he said, I practice eight hours a day. He said, if I miss a day, he said, nobody knows it but me. He said, if I miss two days practice, he said, nobody knows it but me and my family. But he said, if I miss three days practice, he said, the world knows about it. You know, when you dismiss uh, one day of time alone with the Lord, nobody will know about it. But it's, it's a degree. It's just a little degree. But if you miss two days, the people closest to you will know it. You miss three, four days, everybody's going to know, what's wrong with him? What's wrong with her? I'll tell you what's happened. They're backslidden. But it's full-blown now. It's, it's not just a little bit. It was internal. It was warring in their soul. But now it's, it's outside of that. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17. The Bible says, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit. We have these two foes. The Holy Spirit and the flesh. That corrupt nature within us. And you will have that old corrupt nature to Jesus comes. The flesh and the spirit, the Bible says, are contrary the one to the other. The word contrary means adversarial. They're in opposition to each other. So that you cannot, well, look at this, you cannot do the things that you would. Uh, well, we go to church tonight. Oh, my flesh doesn't want to. I'm read the Bible this morning. Well, the spirit wants to, but the flesh doesn't want to. You want to witness to that person? Well, the Holy Spirit told me to, but my, my flesh doesn't want me to. You want to uh, give of your income to the Lord? Well, the Holy Spirit told me to, but my flesh doesn't want me to because I, I'm, I'm afraid if I do, I won't have enough to do this. And, and you, ha- you have this, this battle between the flesh and the Holy Spirit, and it's all the time. And all of a sudden you build these patterns in your life where you just begin to listen to the flesh all the time. And the dominant voice in your life becomes the flesh. And then all of a sudden, where, where, is, where is so-and-so? They're, they're not in church anymore. Well, they miss, one, they miss one service. And then they just miss one, that one service. And then they miss, let's just say... The same service two weeks later. And then three weeks later, they miss the same service. 
And then all of a sudden, they begin to miss a morning service. And then those patterns, because of the flesh, begin to dominate in their life rather than the Holy Spirit. What happened is they went over the fence. And now they begin to take a tumble. And they're backslidden. By the way, I'm, I'm not self-righteous about it. I can do that. If it can be done, I can do it. So can you. That's why I've never been in favor as a church of looking around and saying, saying what I just said. Where is so-and-so? It's just a fact that sometimes we do that. Where are they? That's what happens. James chapter 4, verse 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? These people were having arguments and division in churches. There are church groups there. James said, where are these conflicts coming from? You can't get along. Whether it's your family, at work, the locker room. And then he answers this question. Come they not hence even of your lusts? And here's that word again that we saw in Peter. That war. That war in your members. We talk about spiritual warfare. Here it is again. You have a warfare in your soul. Woke up with it this morning. And and here's the warfare. Are you listening? Spirit, flesh. Spirit, flesh. Spirit, flesh. And what happens, you're going to listen to one or the other if you're saved. Now, if you're not saved, you don't have to worry about it. You just have the flesh. I'm going to skip a verse here. Jesus understood this with, with his disciples. Now watch, look up here. His, his disciples. Okay, disciple. The word disciple just means a learner. It doesn't mean a Christian. Now, now listen to this statement. All, all Christians are disciples, but all disciples are not Christians. I hope it didn't confuse you. John chapter 6 and verse 66 666. John 666. From that time, many of Jesus' disciples went back and walked no more with him. Now, these these people were were never converted. They, They were there because they thought he was a great teacher. They were there because... He was feeding them. In fact, if you remember, John 6 is when he, he performed the miracle and fed the 5,000. But immediately after that miracle, he gave a very strong sermon. So you shall eat my flesh and drink my blood. He was speaking in metaphors, not literal. They, they couldn't get it. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Next verse. And it said, Jesus under the twelve. So now the crowds are gone. Time out. Look up here. The crowds are gone. Well, I'll tell you one thing. God's blessing over there. Look at the crowd. If you go by the crowd, then, then you've got to go by whatever, whatever crowd is blessing. I remember I was talking to a group of pastors one time. And a small group of guys. And one pastor quoted... obscure verse over in the book of Acts about if God is in it, so and so is going to happen. I said, well, that's not what that means. He said, it's not. I said, no. We began to talk. I said, if you use your logic 
of reasoning to say, well, God is blessing because of the crowd. That means that God's blessing Islam. Right? He said, well, yeah. I said, I'm not saying that God doesn't bless ministries. But I said, if you're not careful, once you give a hard saying like Jesus did, and you can preach kindness. Was, it, was there a kinder? The Bible says in Luke 4.22 that Jesus' words were gracious words. You can say it kind. You can speak the truth in love. Like Jesus did. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. They said, Jesus, unto the twelve, will you also go away? Now, this was not out of pity. He was saying this for their behalf. Peter, who was often said the wrong thing at the wrong time, but many times he, he had incredible statements. <laughs> Remember the time Jesus, uh, Peter said, no, you, you won't die. And Peter, Jesus looked, said, get thee behind me, Satan. Strong words. He said that to Pete. Jesus called him Satan because those words came from Satan. Jesus said unto the twelve to Peter and the rest, will you also go away? Then Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Powerful words. Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve of the twelve? Of the twelve? One of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was that should betray him. Listen carefully. Some people that look like they're backslidden are backslidden. They're saved, and they've just gone over the cliff, and they, they need help. They want to get back up. But some people that say they're backslidden aren't backslidden, they're lost. And you need to be careful. Are you listening? Well, my, my, my son or my daughter, they're just backslidden. Okay, maybe they are. Maybe they're lost. And if they come to you and say, Mama, Daddy, I need to get saved. Don't, don't you dare say, oh, no, no, you're just backslidden. I was with you when you were eight years old, and you prayed the prayer. Don't you do that. Now, I only believe you can get saved one time. I believe in once saved, always saved, but I do believe in once saved. And I believe when you repent, that God gives you a new heart. It's, that doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. And I've told you it's not about perfection, it's about direction. You won't be perfect till you get home. But there's a lot of people that that even claim because they've grown up in churches, they've heard the words, and well, I'm just kind of backslidden. No, you're not backslidden, you're lost. Judas, he just he just needs to rededicate his life. He's just away from the Lord. No, he doesn't have the Lord. He's a devil. And he performed miracles, he preached, he won people to Christ. But he betrayed Christ. He was not a Christian. You read in the Gospels and other places there in the Epistles in the New Testament where, where people that split churches and they hate people and they can speak with vitriol. And the Bible says, How dwelleth the love of God in them? They've never been born again. 
They need Christ. They need the Holy Spirit of God. Romans chapter 5 says, when the Holy Spirit of God comes in you, the love of God is shed, S-H-E-D, is shed, poured out in your heart. The love of God. You're changed. You don't want to hurt people anymore. You don't want to talk about people anymore. Well, I just kind of, I'm just backslidden, need to rededicate. No, you need to get to the cross. And once you're there, you want to go back to a whole bunch of people and say, Hey, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. I hurt you. I hurt your church. I'm not talking about me as a pastor. But the church that I was in. The seeds that I have sown. That's what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 6. It talks about he, he that sows, sows seeds of division. But there is a man in the Bible that when you read about him, you say, well, he, he's not a Christian, but he was. You see, you've got to be careful because you don't know who's saved and who's not saved. I, I had some strong words there. I think they're biblical words. But on the other hand, <clears throat> I, I'm not one of these guys that goes around and says, well, I'm just a fruit inspector. Well, I'm not. I'm, I'm a fruit bearer. I don't know who's saved and who's not saved. That's up to God. I, I don't know. I, I, think, I think at the end of the age that there's going to be people that, that you're going to say, wow, I, I, didn't, I didn't know he was saved. And there's going to be people who say, I thought she was saved. I think it was John Newton that said, <clears throat> and I've told you this, it's been a long time since I said this. He's a guy that wrote Amazing Grace, of course. He said, Newton said, when I get to heaven, I'm going to be surprised at three things. He said, first of all, I'm going to be surprised at the people that are there that I didn't think would be there. He said, second of all, I'm going to be surprised at the people that aren't there that I thought would be there. He said, thirdly, I'm going to be surprised that I'm there. Now, I'm not going to be surprised that I'm there, not that I'm good, because Jesus keeps his word. But I do think those other two things I will be surprised at. I'm going to be surprised that there's a, wow, I didn't think they'd be here. I'm surprised. And I'm going to be surprised, sadly, that there's going to be some people that I really thought would be there, that they're not there because they don't, they're just like Judas. Remember, remember when at the Last Supper, the night before Jesus was crucified, when Jesus said, one of you will betray me? And the twelve were there around the table. One of you will betray me. Remember what they said? You remember what they said? They said, it's Judas, isn't it? Remember that? Remember that? They said, it's Judas, isn't it? You don't know because it's not there. They didn't say that. You know what they said? Lord, is it I? Is it me? Not one of them, not one of them, not one of them said, I know who it is. It's Judas. Do you know what Judas was? He was the treasure. Who, who's going to put the treasure? Who, who he was a thief. John chapter 12 says he was taking money from the treasury. Who's going who's to put him in charge of all the money if you know that he's crooked like that? Nobody, nobody saw anything in that in him. Nobody saw it. As far as they could see, he was an upstanding, reputable, 
great guy. And then he betrayed him. But here's this, here's this man that was just an incredible, incredible, wicked fella. But he was a righteous man at the same time. And you can't get your mind around. In fact, I would not even believe it unless the Bible didn't tell me. His name is Lot. Notice what the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 2. Notice in verse 6. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 6. In turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. God's talking about when he judged Sodom and Gomorrah. He condemned them with an overthrow. God turned them over. By the way, you know where that is today? It's where the Dead Sea is. You can go home and look all this up. They've, they've gone underwater with these little cameras, kind of like they did the Titanic. That's the same ones, but similar to that. And they, they found some relics and stuff under there. It's, it's fascinating um, that, that are related to how God destroyed that with brimstone and so forth. I've been swimming in the Dead Sea, and that was one of the most fascinating experiences I've ever had. He condemned Sodom and Gomorrah with an overthrow, making them an example, an example unto those that should live ungodly. And he delivered just lie. Now, stop there. Now, when you just read that, just read that, J-U-S-T. When you read that, you say, well, that means only Lot. That's not what it means. Because he, remember, he had his two daughters with him. His wife turned into a pillar of salt. And his two sons-in-law, sons-in-law, they made fun of him. They wouldn't go. So he wasn't the only one that was delivered. The word just there is the root word for justified. He was a just man. That's what it means. And God delivered just Lot, not only Lot, but Jot, Lot, Jot, Blot, Blot, Lot as a just man. And the Bible says, he, and this is characteristic of a righteous man, he was vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. He didn't like the way they talked. Look, that, speaking of Lot, that righteous man, now, this is the Holy Spirit of God, in His Word, calls him a righteous man dwelling among these Sodomites. And what he saw and heard among them vexed his... And the second time, he was just, he was a righteous man. And the Bible says he had a righteous soul. And every day, day to day, it was vexed with their unlawful deeds. And I know, I know that he was saved. Because the Bible tells me. Backsliding is common. It's common. It's just degrees. I'm going to finish this up. Let me, let me close with a, a little story. Uh, several years ago, my, my son Jeremiah was reading a book that he told me about. He said, Daddy, I, I was reading, he was traveling to business meeting. He said, I was reading this on the plane. I, I know you would like it by Andy Andrews. And it's a collection of short stories. 
And so I write it down. If anybody ever tells me about books or I'm listening, you can always tell readers because when people tell, either like I'm preaching or they're listening to somebody else preach or in a group, somebody says, yeah, I read this book. You'll just see them scribble the name of the book down because they like to read. And so uh, I wrote it down. I got it. And it was just really, really a great book. And... uh, one of the chapters, it's, it's page 49 in the book, remember that. He talks there, it's about little things. That's the title of the book, uh, about little things. And uh, Andy lives in Orange Beach. And when he was 20 years old, he was going on a fishing trip with his best friend. And he had this other guy that he didn't know. He didn't know this guy, not the first time he'd ever met him, <coughs> who was friends with his best friend. And so uh, they went out of Perdido Pass, right by the rocks, Paula, right where we were at. Stayed most of the time. We were there a couple weeks ago. So, so they left there, and they were going on south southwest bearing. In my mind, I was trying to figure out exactly where they went. About 100 miles out, they went 100 miles out there, out into the Gulf. There is a an oil rig out there. And... They go out there, they tie up to the rig, and they go fishing out there. Now, you got to love fishing to do that, okay? And so he and his best friend went out there all the time. They had a friend that had gone out there a week before, and they caught some fish and told him he had gone this side and so forth. So they were excited about it. So they put their their new buddy who, who went on other boats before, but Andy didn't know this guy. And... Uh, so they started out early, and uh, had this little GPS thing that boats go on. And I'm kind of struggling here. I'm just quoting what I've read. I, I, I can work out, Amy. You know that, but I don't know anything about boats. Okay. And uh, anyhow, so they're heading out there, and he said, "We've got just enough gas to get there, and uh, you know." motor around just a little bit to find some fish and get back. That's all. And he said, we're going out there. He said, at, at, at 10 miles out, you can see the tops of the condos from Orange Beach. And he said, but you get past that. He said, the curvature of the earth begins to work and you can't see anything. And he said, so we're, we're starting to look for these oil derricks. He said, I know this place like the back of my hand. I've grown up there. I know this really well. So I'm looking, and I'm looking. And he asked my best friend. I'm not talking to this other guy. I'm going to ask my best friend, where's that oil derrick? Remember, they started in the morning. They can't find it. They can't find it. Sun starts going down. Dusk comes. They can't find it. Gasoline is going down. They power down. And uh, he, he starts getting nervous. And uh, finally they put, they, they get out there, they run, they run out of gas. They put around. They're 100 miles out there. And I didn't know you could do this. They got a big bucket and they put, they filled it up with water and put it in the in in the ocean out there in the Gulf. I call it the ocean, it's the Gulf. And use it kind of like an artificial anchor 
to keep the boat from drifting. I didn't know you could do that. And he said, we thought we were going to die. We were there all night long. And he said, then we just, we just prayed. And he said, to make a long story short, they got back the next afternoon. Someone found them. And what had happened, the new guy that was with them, who knew all about boats, had set the GPS thing wrong by two degrees. Two degrees. Merlin's nodding. He was a sailor. By two degrees. He said, which only it's a 360-degree grid. And he said, that equates to one-sixteenth of an inch. One-sixteenth of an inch. He said, we almost lost our life. I remember reading that story a couple of years ago, and there's much other story. You're going to read it. It's a great book. It's just little short stories and stuff like that. But I remember reading it. It just struck me about the, about the power of, of, of small decisions accumulated, the good and bad. But, you know, some of you, some of you are making some, some small compromises. As far as you're concerned, it's just, it's a little thing. It's just a little, we're just, we're just talking. We're just talking on the internet. We're just friends. And then you, you leave your spouse. No, it's, it's not a little thing. It's a little, it's a little compromise. You see, backsliding is common. And it's a series of small steps that once you cross that fence, it's just a matter of time that you plummet over the side of the mountain. And you not only hurt yourself, but you hurt everybody near and dear to you. Just bow your head with me, okay?